We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Turrbal and Yagara people, and their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and flood media is recorded on stolen land. No, you should see, well, I haven't seen, I still haven't seen Snowpiercer, but now I want to see it. You should definitely see Parasite. I think it's still in um, a few cinemas. We had to go to Palace Cinema at um, James Street and pay Can like $18. put this recommendation right up the front of the podcast and tell people to stop it and then go and see it and come back because I don't want to spoil this for yeah, any no. good, tense, it's, twisty okay. movie for them. Good point. I will put a spoiler warning in. What's the newest health craze? Lyme disease, thing? fake Lyme disease. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maddie and I have gone deep the, on um, this one. In the Bribey Island paper, which I love to read, um, I've, they have like little adverts for all the stuff that's on like the Ukulele Society and the Gem Foskers and the 5,000 Rotary Clubs and stuff that happens when all your population <laughs> is retired. And there's one I found a few years ago, which was an ad for the Wound Club. I don't know what the fuck it was. Like, maybe they had a nurse there. I think you go like redress their wounds. wounds. But I'm pretty sure they were like, check this fucking wound. Like, my family will not (laughs) let me talk about my wound anymore. I have to go to Wound Club to get support (laughs) from people who understand. You can talk about your favorite dressings and (laughs) get a a bit of air on your wound. Check this separation. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's just uh, group therapy, you know, emotional wounds. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, that's deep. Had not considered. (laughs) I don't know if they're that evolved on the wounded club <laughs> there is i was actually reading an article sort of related to like pm's the end of the world and like facebook support groups about where like there are facebook groups where people who like know the world you know who think oh the world's ending and there's nothing we can do about it and then they just go on there and like talk about how like depressed and bad it is and yeah but like with they don't want to be involved politically to cha- politically mm. to change it they're just have the resignation that it's all Mm. going to die and that's the whole point of the group is to just talk about that i feel that's that's a metaphor for society i know more than one person who's in like facebook prepper groups and that's their apolitical way of dealing with like the world being fucked yeah yeah that's but that's kind of like there's still a level of denialism there it's like the world's fucked but uh, i'm gonna gonna have my bunker and all of like a hundred cans of beans yeah i was having a big talk to my friend about this recently i was like you know if we're at that point i think i'd just be happy to die in the city like is i don't know if i have the drive to survive to like go bush and come back with the cache of stuff and you know maybe you and your chosen people have survived but everyone else is dead like you get on a train train never stops (laughs) (laughs) just as a random example getting colder and colder outside (laughs) PMs are having a chilling effect century. on political discourse and the temperature. So, yeah, we're, this uh, cast is a very, like, I guess, climatically appropriate because uh, both Maddie and Ryan have been attacked by the particulate matter in the air in <laughs> Brisbane and are coughing like crazy. So, uh, mm, this is just body. a touch of local flavour. Brought uh, low by the PM10s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they've defeated us this time. Um, so, maybe we'll, yeah, before we go any further, we can introduce ourselves. Um, so, I'm Joe here with... Hello, my name is Ryan. Here to talk about trains. Uh, Callum and Maddie. Great. So yeah, we this. Um, there you go. This uh, podcast <laughs> we designed around um, cinema, the films, um, specifically the films of Bong Joon Ho, um, South Korean director who has made such movies as The Host, Okja, Snowpiercer, and most recently uh, Parasite, which won the uh, Palme d'Or at Cannes and is like a pretty good film. Um, which at least half the room has seen. And the other half has seen Snowpiercer. <laughs> and one select member of this cast has seen both movies. <laughs> so, you know, this is this is going to be great. Um, so we thought maybe... Why would we- you need to see them with reviews like, a pretty good film? Show <laughs> 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 Look, I've actually seen it takes his there. original shit. 
The Host, mm. which is his 2006 horror movie. Mm. It's uh, about a monster that um, was created by the American military in occupation in South Korea and goes through that whole similar thing of like a lower middle class family who have that sort of like um, like that weird comedy thing, that thing that he does mm. in his movies. Yeah, yeah. But, um, Dead bad comedy. Exactly. But then there's like, I don't know if there's intentional commentary on how there's that like US imperialism in South Korea, but I think. Surely there has to be when you're creating like a river monster out of um, his military waste or whatever. One of the things that, yeah, is great about him is that his, his like visual or his metaphors in the movies are not what you'd call subtle. <laughs> um, like I think in the words of our friend Mitch talking about Snowpiercer, the, the idea of like a, a train in which um, or like this, the carriages was on a train. Yeah. <laughs> which bom, the carriages bom, bom. are separated by class is something that a 17 year old would aggressively create. <laughs> um, similarly in Parasite, the idea of like the, how do we signify the lower class? What if we just put them in a basement, like really far down in the ground um, so is he, I don't think he goes in for like super subtle metaphors. Yeah, that's heard, not a bad thing. I heard someone describe Snowpiercer as a hallway movie and then Parasite as a staircase movie. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a big big doorway in Parasite. This this one particular demonic doorway is like practically its own character. Um, yeah, so maybe we'll just go through like each movie. Um, oh, except Ryan, I think you also want to talk about Hustlers. Uh, I think we'll probably be pressed for time other okay. than a solid recommendation for Hustlers. All right. I J-Lo have is no incredible. idea what this is. Hustlers is, okay, right. Um, you have to go see it. Uh, so Hustlers stars J-Lo at the age of 50 as a stripper who then like Incredibly turns- ripped. So ripped. J-Lo has never looked better. It's ridiculous. Who's uh, J-Lo again? Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> Callum. Callum is, yeah. Look, look I mean, it's, it is a bit of a Tuesday. Ryan, has she ever been in a movie with a train? No, Callum like, doesn't. Who could have? If a train's or not at all. She was in that film Made in Manhattan, but I think that did the opposite of raising class consciousness. Oh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> there may have been a subway in there somehow, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I was, my the friend who encouraged me to go see this film sort of described it as like a zany heist film. And I wasn't expecting it to instead be like a like pretty solid take on um, the financial crisis and Wall Street guys are bad. Also features the only celebrity that I know or care about because she endorsed Bernie that time, Cardi B. <laughs> yeah, Cardi B <laughs> makes like a very small appearance and it was clear she was on set for like half an hour and ad-libbed all of her lines. Nonetheless, totally worth it. I think she was very good in it. Mm, yeah, very solid. All right, good. Thank you. I think it's mainly interesting and in like every we can't go to the movies lately without tripping over a movie that has surprisingly okay politics. Mm. Mm. That's and, true. And, you know, Hustlers had its ups and downs, but it did end with um, J-Lo saying... Yeah, J-Lo, J-Lo's take on the whole thing is like, this whole country is a strip club. Oh, my some God. Pe- some people are throwing money and the rest of us are dancing. <laughs> J-Lo. Yeah, J-Lo, it's, J-Lo. It's got surprisingly um, good politics. Mac, you think. That Mac, you think. So maybe we'll just t- start off with Snowpiercer because I actually haven't seen it um, and well, all of you have. The plot of it is basically Captain America is living yeah. on this train Look, and he it's finds difficult out to describe how weird it is that, that stars protein bars uh, don't actually have any protein because they're made from cockroaches and he gets mad when he finds out that Willy Wonka who's living at the protein. other end of the train <laughs> you know, has all the protein Ooh. so he goes like up the train getting his wants his protein. It's all just about protein. A quest for high-quality like, lean a, protein. It's definitely about a, a nutritional <laughs> take a lot on of the that. whole thing. Actually, that was one of my big issues with the film is that he's allegedly malnourished in the underclasses but is like tanked us. Like where does he get the protein to sustain this muscle mass? Hey, doesn't look, check cockroaches out. cockroaches have 
huge amount of protein per whatever kilojoule or whatever the fuck. I don't do science. <laughs> I did the humanities. Per cockroach, that's the yeah, measurement yeah, for protein. Pro- protein per cockroach. It has three cockroaches of protein in this. Yeah, they shake. were very mad that they were eating bugs in this movie, which made me sad. I mean, eating bugs is the future. We're all going there. We're, yeah, we're going to have to. Um, did you see that post on Reddit a while ago that was like this person being like, so I am experimenting with like new forms of protein, uh, like trying to be environmentally sustainable. And I had some friends over for a meal um, and I made them like a curry or something. And instead of meat, I just used uh, mealy worms. And then later they found out and they all got really angry. And so I should have told them, <laughs> am I being unreasonable here? <laughs> am I the asshole here? Yeah. Do you in- just go on Reddit? No, <laughs> I, no, I actually don't go on Reddit, but I occasionally mm. um, consume it's Reddit. It's okay. Unemployment Twitter. takes us all in different ways. <laughs> I haven't reached that that uh, depth yet. <laughs> when I was in Canada, I was at a, a climbing gym, and they had these like because you know climbing gyms they usually have these like energy protein bars. Usually, Cliff bars are like the generic one, but this one had like a local. Um, it was like a cricket bar. It had like ground up crickets in it, but this was like a peanut flavor. I was like, oh, this will go really like this weird fucking flavor in it it was just you're like mm, this is not taste like peanuts mm, this is off like i had a cricket pizza recently it was great but what, the crickets were very minimal and there was also blue cheese and all the other pizza stuff so that might have masked the essential cricketicity but there was a nice crunch yeah that smells that sounds fine but chris evans not into it Mm. All right, oh yeah, trying, that, trying the to actual. Circle back to this film briefly. Yeah, um, I still think this whole film is just about his like. It's like a thing of you have to train. I think this actually, you know, goes back to um, you know the whole getting swole, swole palace because um, it's <laughs> a, you know swole. train training mm. um, for, and you know he's well, basically change. bashing the fash and it's a critique of yeah, how get strong of, by bashing the fash instead of you know focusing on weak electoralism <laughs> and theory. <laughs> You should just get huge and, and get to and the front. front exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's like, again, solid, solid take on this whole thing. Um, now, um, the first thing you see upon starting this film, actually, which already made me laugh, is Weinstein production. <laughs> and so I'll get back to like Weinstein's views on this at the end because it's um, he was way too dumb to, to notice um, what he was producing and his conversations with um, the director are pretty solid. Um, but then, like, the world, the, the brief introduction, the world, we're in a post-apocalypse here after a naive attempt to fix climate change went wrong, and now everything is really cold. They did a lot <laughs> of fucking particular matter. Way too many. Yeah, way too much PMs, and it's reflecting the sunlight, and now it's cold as. PMs have staged the final victory. This this felt particularly poignant to me because a uh, friend of the cast, um, Liam Flannerty, is reading and constantly recommending this geoengineering book at the moment and so this was like the perils of geoengineering i mean i'm pretty much with the movie on this like all of humanity's attempts to fix a problem whether it's like introducing cane beetles and then cane toads or doing whatever the fuck like intervene to modify our world have generally been fucked like how could we ever trust any of us to geoengineer our way not into it. I kind of have to hope waste. we can manage it, but you yeah, know. it's kind of the only thing we can hope for at this point. <laughs> I trust that Elon Musk can do it. <laughs> yeah, Elon, if you're out there, let us know. Um, DM me. <laughs> yeah, DM me, please. Um, and so, luckily, some potentially crazy but very forward-thinking man has built a train, and a bunch of people end up on the train, and now we are 17 years into into the apocalypse. 
with only the handful of survivors on Earth on this one train in a constant year-long loop, just driving around in the snow. Uh, the train start, can't stop or all of humanity dies. So it's just like a, you know, less original speed. Wait, how, <laughs> how many people did you say was on the train? Mm. Hard to say, like a couple hundred. It's a very small maybe. train. And are they uh, like meant to be procreating this whole time? Yes, there are. Like this is key to the plot. There are some so some Chris of the Evans early characters is, you is meet. The uh, most swole and therefore like a most fit member of like the proletariat in the back of the train. So he fucks the most. Well, <laughs> they don't seem it's to bleak, necessarily. Right? They do extract children occasionally okay. from the back of the train to use. But on the whole, they don't seem to do much. They just kind of sit around and get oppressed at the back there and fed cockroach pellets. They're, hmm. they're a surplus population, mm, basically. I see. Okay. Yeah, this was one of the this was one of the things that was annoying me as the film was happening. It was like the working. You start in the rear of the train with the heavily like not working class. Yeah, they're not. They're not the proletariat. They not they're the surplus yeah, yeah, population yeah. in the same way that how they teach capitalism at like UQ is that you have to have a natural rate of unemployment of about mm. 5%, which is to help keep, keep wages, wages down, down and draw and keep that fear of falling down so that it disciplines the workforce. So they're not even yeah, the proletariats. They're like the ones... They certainly imply that that's going on with their like ideology in the train of like the fear of falling down the train, down in class and ending up at the back. And there's a lot of like... They have this creepy little school in the middle of the train where they're like... Um, the back of the train people, I can't even remember what they call them, are like dirty grifters is basically the message there. Mm. Uh, and so the film continuing, like starts out, has not started out particularly subtle and like basically Chris Evans is with his mentor, John Hart, is playing like... John Hurt. Hurt? Yes. Oh, it's um, Ollivander from Harry Potter. Oh. And he wasn't actually, he was in 1984. He's in a bunch of things. He's like, he's like, oh, that's who that is. Yeah. I have really poor facial recognition. So I'm like, it's probably Gandalf or Dumbledore. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's one of those English, old men. Like, English character actor. He's been a million things. It was like, he's doing a real good job being like this crotchety, not crotchety, like crusty old survivor on this train. Uh, in his sort of Chris of Evans mental. failed revolution. Yeah, he is the leader here in the back of the train filled with... Um, the dregs of humanity and every now and then the train cops rock up to like bash some people up take your kid off like do a bit of random violence okay mm. uh and chris evans is plotting a revolution um definitely definitely not subtle um and yeah it uh kicks off um turns out that the cops uh were out of bullets and the whole thing was a ruse and so they start like a straight up fist fight and punch their way through to the Second carriage, uh, which is a um, prison carriage. Well, they go on a whole. They go through a whole series of carriages, which is these assorted kind of wonderlands. Like starting with the prison thing, where people are in like suspended animation. Then you find some actual workers, and then you get into this like increasingly kind of surreal, like rich people lands mm. of like the sushi bar and the nightclub and there the. There's a dentist at one point. Yeah, it gets increasingly surreal. Like it's, it's so it starts out very bleak and dire in the back. Uh, and not exactly. Oh, t- one character that we've totally forgotten to mention who steals the show is Tilda Swinton, plays some like. Minister Mason. Minister Mason. Incredibly inbred, like, ruler of the train. This sounds like a role that was written for Tilda oh, Swinton. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely owns in it. Just like, um, sort of weird, stuttering, like, speeches she gives about everyone keeping in place. He, uh, Bong, is it Bong Jun Ho, uses her again in Okja. 
She's in Okja. Oh. Yeah, which again, I haven't seen, but it's on Netflix. <laughs> we are. Yeah. We are yeah. <laughs> Between us, we have seen like two <laughs> director's films. We're very keen. Uh, yeah. I think there's also like an average of 1.3 maybe. <laughs> in another, like one of his like incredibly um, on the nose metaphors, like their plan to get to kick off their revolution is they've built this like tunnel tube kind of thing and they basically plan to like ram it halfway up the train and crawl through so it's like this needle shooting people from like the lumpen <laughs> proletariat up into like the heart of the empire mm. yeah uh and then the the next the sort of the co-main character as, as the film develops is found in the um in this prison section sort of like the first section that they the revolution successfully captures um which is oh i should look up his name uh, anyway, it's a Korean, it's a Korean actor, and he's a um, like he's a locksmith. He helps design the train, and they need him to unlock these series of doors in between the carriages. Mm. Um, but he's a bit reluctant to join the revolution, and is a bit of a junkie. So they have to bribe him with like a, a never-ending s- series of drugs. How do they get the drugs? Uh, it's something that's been like it's like cons- a byproduct of the train or something. Yeah, it's Some like described as putty. basically like engine putty. Yeah, it's like leftover raw materials that were otherwise going to be t- go to waste, but apparently um, are very flammable. Hint, hint, and um, uh, produce a, a high. I suppose if you've got nothing else to do, this, uh, I think we should also mention that there's quite a like religious almost. Um, uh, environment around the train and its mm. creator like the minimus minister mason really like embodies that whole you know you must worship wilfred your ben- who bene- benevolently that's not how you say that word let you Close on this enough. train you know and it's yeah, this wilfred yeah, yeah, yeah. is this you see the w like on the train is he's Embossed like the creator the this train. sort of um again lot sort of like a uh wizard of oz sort of like character who's you hear about you don't really see them mm. until the end of the movie yeah the entire focus is to yeah like, i kind of assumed wilford was going to be dead for most of the movie yeah because he's in a very mentioned by everyone mm. but never like ne- doesn't make an appearance at all until the very end until the showdown and so yeah there's a very like early on you're kind of suspecting that he doesn't exist and he's a sort of a myth um mm. oh we should probably say it we should i should say this earlier there's going to be like big spoilers for both oh yeah this, um, these are huge spoilers. And parasite so yeah Sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't think we've done anything too huge so far. No, and I don't think we, can, cut, we can cut in a spoiler warning at the yeah. <laughs> so, from something. And <laughs> some it remains quite blunt and probably not hugely surprising at any at any moment, mm. but um, it is very enjoyable anyway, even if you um kind of know what's in, know where it's going. So do they yeah. capture the train? Uh eventually. Um the the fight continues through after the prison section. Yeah, this is where they discover that they've been eating cockroaches and they um, go through this, like, like factory section. Um, and then after that, they have their first, like, sort of physical co- confrontation with the forces of reaction, in which is, which the is when the skimps. film starts to get, like, properly surreal for the first time. Like, up until now, I suppose it's been, like, va- like it feels like it's been vaguely plausible. The train's a bit cramped, but, like, nothing's particularly, like magical realism but then you open like they open the door and then the next carriage is entirely filled with yeah like gimp mask wielding gimp mask people wielding axes and it's like like the standing army of the like petty bourgeois uh like yeah like 
subs with accents <laughs> and then like a very the, the longest of fight scene and the most action that happens in the film happens where christopher evans and his plucky band of um proletarian rebels like yeah just go hand to hand with a bunch of um gip mask axe people very strange kind of good thoughts on that callum i just remember they go into like a dark tunnel and then they're having to like fight in the dark with the bad guys having like night vision yeah there's they were supposed to like have like some technological advances on them up their sleeve um to but they like the revolution like overcomes through the but i and then they eventually keep getting on up into like higher levels of that like does i feel like almost oh, at the top society wilds. there's a lot of like weird there's mm. a lot of wild like, stuff up there like they've got yeah. an aquarium full of sharks and they got all these saunas and they got all kinds of stuff going on up yeah there, which it, like it just gets increasingly surreal from here sort of mirrors like the weird decadence and mm. grotesqueness and like fucked up shit that starts to happen in our society the higher up you get you know you look at the whole epstein thing mm. like there's some fucked up shit happening when you have you're at that strata of society yeah. and i think that sort of reflects that 100 percent. it is absolutely extremely blunt about this about how like yeah grotesquely decadent because it's like yeah there's basically no jobs happening in anywhere on this train effectively um other than the like potentially the gimp wielding the, the axe wielding gimps are like nah i think they're in that job. for the love of the game <laughs> but yeah like there's a real there's a real sense that they're just into it um <laughs> oh, part of that surreal fight is that there's actually a pause in this fight for them to like celebrate the new year like all of the all they like all the axe people stop for a second and go happy new year and like half of them are dead um <laughs> and this is where christopher evans gets his first chance to like feel the the like the tr- the pangs and the difficulties of a violent uprising when one character that like has Edgar. no lines yeah he has the chance to like sacrifice his best friend or like proceed with the revolution yeah and he hesitates for a bit but he does let his friend die and then sort of capture Tilda Swinton in an uh, as a political prisoner in an exchange yeah thank god this movie does generally glorify going forwards yeah, it's hard to say. Like, I, I think like on a train, being a train, running <laughs> yeah. on tracks. Yeah, Christopher Evans is. There's always, there's always the, this repeated motif of Christopher Evans standing Christopher there. Evans. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just me for Christopher. Who what knows? is his name? It's Chris Evans. But Sorry, I'm just going to say Christopher. Evans. Evans. I just stick with Evans. Evans. Captain America. So Captain America Mr. Chris, is constantly yeah, like looking, America. like he's looking to like stage right. Well, he's then. always looking to stage right. I'm not sure he can act in any way other than <laughs> actually, looking, setting his no, jaw no, no, and looking off in different directions. There was directions. a really good video on YouTube about how this whole thing is actually filmed in a left to right yeah, frame thing. That. So, you're always like the direction of action and everything is moving this way. Mm. Um, yeah, and the only yeah. time, there's only like a few moments where Krevin looks backwards to like wonder if this was all worth it. Uh, and yeah, so one of his, his one of his young friends of the revolution gets like brutally murdered by, yeah, a, a, recur- a character who will become important later on and just looks like, it doesn't have any lines and looks like a real cut price. Um, oh, help me out here, Maddie. No idea? All right, moving on. <laughs> wow. Really I think um, maybe, an, you know, another version, of, another interpretation of this movie is that this is like... Christopher Hitchens, anti- sorry. Oh, yeah, he does actually. <laughs> he, looks um, like a, yeah, he looks like a very unhealthy Christopher Hitchens. This is anti-Yang Gang propaganda, and this is a cautionary tale about what happens when you institute a UBI but do not, like, abolish billionaires. Mm. A Silicon Valley UBI then ends you on a train where they've still Wait, got sharks and, the like... Wait, is Wilfred the 
UBI billionaire? Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's a lot of like Silicon Valley <laughs> UBI proposals coming out now and it's very much like a sop to the people who will be put out of jobs by the robots or the AIs or whatever. So, But then we're all going to mm. fucking end up on the train and they'll still have sharks and like children to abuse and whatever. We should, we should talk about the end bit where they actually yeah. meet <laughs> Wilfred, who's Ed Harris. Um, yeah, it goes very well. And yeah, there's, it's. I think it's basically he reveals that um, the that he had, he and his friend Gilliam, who is John Hurt, were in communication and they had engineered the revolution as a um, way of um, uh, culling, uh, culling the population. surplus yeah. population. They then they get to into this real like kind of fashy ecological speak about like it's the train is a perfect balanced ecosystem mm. and we have to like perfectly fiddle the inputs and stuff. Mm. But the machine itself is being kept going by these kids who have been taken from this surplus population and used as spare machine parts in the bowels of the engine. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Again, like not going for subtlety points. <laughs> not at all. Um, and so yeah, I suppose, like, yeah, while this is all happening, um, like where ostensibly the attention is on Christopher Evans. Um, Christopher Evans. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Captain Christopher America. Evans. Captain America. Captain Evans. Um, uh, yeah. The um, like the quiet, apparently junky locksmith who's just like, opening doors for them as they go along is like constantly in the back of a scene talking to his daughter like he is uh he is sort of like the other main character with like almost with background attention while there's all this like fighting going on and like tense moments where people get sacrificed to the revolution and he's always like looking out the window or like showing his daughter something or like scavenging more drugs and at one point like Stealing this fur coats off of these um, extremely high, decadent middle class people they find in one of the random carriages, and um, just before uh, the final confrontation, Crevens has with Wilford, the train owner. Um, there's like the sort of soul of the movie is. Uh, yeah, this character describing how... This person who I think has really, the whole way through the movie, been like the face of nihilism. Mm, yeah, totally. Like, just absolutely uninvested in this revolution. Um, like, apparent, like always constantly apparently high and just, like, sort of tinkering with something in the Obsessed background. Obsessed with, like, getting off the train to die in the snow and, like, get away mm. from imprisonment mm. at any cost. Yeah, and so he, like, then he outlines, like, his... Um, like, he, like the reason he did this and, like, the whole plan he, for going along with the revolution. By this point, like, most people have died as well. It's Cut, literally only Chris Evans, him and his daughter. Yeah. Cut price, um, Christopher Hitchens has murdered everyone and is impossible to kill and is some kind of, like, extended metaphor for how, like, much the ruling class loves killing. Like, he's, yeah, sort of, he dies several times only to, like, get up later in order to kill some other hero. Um and then you just can't keep new atheism down. <laughs> yeah, um, the last cigarette in the world gets smoked. Oh no! While um, they discuss like whether to continue the revolution and open this last door, and then confront the Wilford and the the train owner, or go through with this plan that this other character has been devising this whole time, and it turns out this huge stash of drugs he's been collecting was to in order to make fashion a makeshift bomb, and then blow open a door and then leave the train and so the you're presented with like these two options Crevens's like single-minded um determin- determination to like capture the machinery of the capture state capture the capitalist like, state capture the machinery of the state workers state, yeah right <laughs> versus um 
the like, well, maybe actually like Just we need to be up. looking outside. We need to leave the train. Uh, and, and he does have this theory that the climate is slowly warming and thus survival will be possible. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, it really is leaving the state, leaving the institutions or staying on this like rationalist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Doing some door knocking. And industrial machine, yeah. yeah. So... And then you have this big set piece with um, Crevens and um, old man Wilford. Because um, Wilford wants Crevens to, to take replace over him. him. Which mm. is this real, like, the revolution has been fake. I've been in control. I've bought you here to make you the driver of the train. Uh. And they're trying to get him to capitulate and whatever. It's a very, like, Chris Evans does a lot of staring off into the distance, looking at the children. Yeah, and there was this, there was a, there was another version of this movie where it just like ended there in this very like nihilistic way, or it had Chris Evans as the new leader of the train and like the re- betraying the revolution and maintaining like the order on this. Um, but um, after after seeing firsthand um, where these children that they've been looking for for most of this film um, are actually yeah like stuck under the floorboards like performing like repeated manual tasks oh yeah very parasite there they're like boarded into the wall like operating the train uh and with absolute horror then like um sacrifices himself to um like actually sacrifices an arm there's a there's a whole extra arm motif where like most of the (laughs) most of the proletariat have lost an arm for various reasons he's like a real um revolutionary and not a just a fake um and um, and then through to like uh, some kind of a series of accidents, um, old mate's bomb blows up and causes a massive avalanche, and then the entire train is derailed, and um, everyone is dead. Everyone is dead for the daughter, the daughter, of and and the and the kid and that the they kid just that saved who had been like working for the last. So this like machine part, maybe eighteen-year-old Korean woman and a little kid like wander off into the snow and then like see a polar bear and it's like life is possible. It's like maybe there's life outside the train. (laughs) Then the polar bear eats them. Yeah, they're so dead. They like there's almost no chance that they're alive, right? I feel like you're right. It's a very nihilistic movie because it it's both a like almost could be read as a critique of the Leninist model of overtaking. I think one hundred percent is yeah state and replacing with a worker state, but also a critique of like maybe the anarchist one of destroying the state and trying to exist outside of it. Because when they did that, yeah, you know, one or you, two people just left, killed everyone. But everybody <laughs> yeah, else like, died. Everyone else died as well. Yeah, I think there's a there's potentially a version in which it's just like well, it was worth the risk. That it's like because <laughs> it's like clearly it's this real kind of creepy of thing of like you know the children in the future and a new day is born like for. Mm for humanity thing that I think is a trope that happens a fair bit in sci-fi that I find like repulsive of the like you know the old ways are dead but the new will go forward but that maybe came at the cost of like all of the living people the best I still reckon that the best take on this movie is that it is a sequel to Willy Wonka <laughs> look I, I Callum, still I, 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 that video blew my mind no, no, I didn't watch it you gotta lay it on me yeah Callum. can you explain oh okay so there's okay seriously look this up on YouTube <laughs> it's just look up, uh, is Snowpiercer a sequel to Willy Wonka? So it basically goes through that Wilfred is Charlie, um, <laughs> who inherited Wonka's factory, and it goes through, you know, he 
foresaw got this bored of chocolate thing. started well, making he trains well that it happened and he had the ability and the technology to like build this train um the w sort of reflects like <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. and there's this whole there's all these other things about like you know using children in machines <laughs> yeah, yeah. the characters in that movie like somehow actually mirror a little bit the like the the kids who are the other kids in that movie movie wonka mirror yeah, is the, um the only one like, who survives the revolution <laughs> well no not evans so much um but like like minister mason could be one of the kids a lot of the other henchmen of wilfred mm. are like charlie's compatriots in wonka oh, right, um, right 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 yeah it's really it actually the i think the main thing for that theory is like really reminding you of what a dark movie charlie and the chocolate factory is mm. so and a dark. lot of roald dahl stories are like this but very, it's like yeah dark. this like journey through the house of horrors basically and like playing these kids off against each other for the, ch- and then this great bait and switch to like inherit my thing and become my like creepy protege. Like yeah, yeah. And also the oomp- I don't the know that the Oompalumpas is just like colonialism, oh, right? Yeah. Like not even really trying to disguise it. So yeah, this is the same yeah. structure of like journeying through, and then you get there, and it was all a test. Yeah, and it's like a very Wizard of Oz thing, isn't that like Willy Wonka? Uh, Willy Wonka was like a Wizard of Oz character. Like mm. you get there, and it's not actually. Yeah, behind the curtain, etc. Yeah, mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I can but see yeah, that. Yeah, what what I thought about this movie, and this is maybe me just being um, extremely nitpicky, but as they wander out into the snow, the little kid and the woman are both wearing these fur coats that they like stole off the hot tub ravers. But all of the hot tub ravers are adults. The two coats they stole, one for the Korean father, one for the Korean daughter, both adult size. The kid, who's like maybe seven, wearing a kid size coat. Mm. Therefore. It was fake. Um, it was like a hallucination that, you know, the daughter or somebody was having, you know, as they kind of died in the explosion and like imagining a future with this like trippy ass polar bear and hope, but they're all just like dying in the ground in the explosion in the engine. Yeah, it is like, it's actually kind of compelling to me that I think that that might be true because it's like a very weird detail to get wrong. It's not something that he would get wrong. No. And it's not hard to have a kid just wearing a giant coat. Yeah. Yeah, and that would look fine. It was or a perfectly she, sized seven-year-old photo. carrying him in this giant coat. Mm. It would be fine. And it is, of course, it's like, you know, astounding that this train derails and there's this huge explosion and exactly two people die, two people survive. And one is a man and one is a woman. Mm. Or like, mm. not yet a man, but, you know, male. Yeah. So... Like, but filmically, like it's a it's a blast, and it was very enjoyable. It's a lot such of the, a, enjoyable a lot of the middle section where there's just like there's not a lot of dialogue necessarily. It's just a series of like increasingly surreal rooms. Like they they get into this giant aquarium and have the revolution stops to have sushi. <laughs> and then yeah, he really enjoyed his set pieces, and I think you know Parasite is very different. Like it's far more grounded, but. You know, he obviously loved, like, the architecture of the house there and, you know, took a lot of, like, composition, a lot of interest in architecture. So, mm. I think this is what he had. He's like, mm. but what if it was a fucking train with an aquarium? Yeah. Let's roll. <laughs> There's an incredible moment when they, they visit a preschool and they, you get to see this extremely twee indoctrination video they have about Wilf- Wilfred as a god, effectively. And it's when the violence like ramps up again suddenly this pregnant preschool teacher who's been like really cheerfully like just like incorporating the revolutionaries into her classroom just real white supremacist section there with the the pregnant woman leading all the tiny um and then she suddenly breaks out an uzi and then like the violence just starts again and it like punctures the surreal like this cute little scene and like it continues on yeah it's very it's 
it was an incredible, incredible film to watch. Mm. But I think that I think the um only like takeaway I can have is that it is very much a degrowth movie that is kind of um an anti um industrialism. Um arguably like it starts by capitalism causing the problem of climate change, but then the attempts to geoengineer it are like equally doomed and and it's most train is doomed. All you can like do the is, is like doomed. walk off and be at one with the like polar bears. The, like it was right to blow up everyone on the train. Like it was a decadent, horrible mess. And the on- like even if the only chance is that a handful of people survive and live a modest but real existence, that's the only like that's the true revolution. The true revolution is getting off of the train, not trying to make the train like what function better you have to get off the fucking train mac you think i just want to know why they didn't stop the train the, the train doesn't need to move <laughs> like that's my favorite part about it as a meta- metaphor for capitalism yeah, they don't even bother to it's explain. just driving around in circles and it doesn't need to <laughs> it's like why is the train moving it uh, was a great follow-up to that um book that um, mitch made us all read where the city is on train tracks and they spend all their resources and labour laying tracks in front of the city and pulling up the tracks behind the city so yeah. it's always moving. Another very subtle metaphor there. <laughs> yeah, I recommend Inverted World. <laughs> um, very, very good sci-fi. On terms of uh, other train-related sci-fi books, Rail Sea by China Melville. It's a take on Moby Dick. but it's it's what, What's it called? Rail Sea. Ra- Rail Sea. Yeah. Ah. So it's a... If Moby Dick... Is this about like an aqua train? No, no, it's literally just trains, um, but a Moby Dick story. China Mievel, I definitely, I'm not surprised that he loves trains. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's very into he's like... He's an industrial boy. Oh, very much so. And he's also really into like metaphors and shit. Um, yeah, and the third the third book in the... Um, uh, I can't remember what the, the series is called, but Iron Council. New Crozabon or something yeah, like that. Oh, yeah. I've only read the first one. I've read the first the one too. It's good. I love it. Continue. Uh, it's a bit of a slog. They're all just extremely long. But then yeah. the third so one is about, yeah, this, uh, like, a metaphor for a, com- a communist revolution. Yeah, is exactly the same thing. There's this train that never stops. Um, and they're just constantly ripping up the tracks and putting it back in front of them. Anyway, it's great. Um, Ryan, you were going to tell us about um, Weinstein and uh, Bong Joon-ho mm. meeting. Yeah, so... So yeah, one of the one of the early-ish scenes in the film is when the revolution stops for sushi, and Tilda Swinton explains that like, oh, you're very lucky to be here at the sushi bar. Um, no, no, no. The one he's talking about is when they're fighting um, the gimps, mm. um, the leather gimps, who were their first like real pushback. Um, they rock up in their like leather aprons with their war axes and stuff, and just like got a fish in front of the oh in front of the protesters right, 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 right. and um yeah apparently Weinstein wanted like wanted they had a lot of fights about this movie they wanted to cut tons of it they were like there's too much dialogue there needs to be more action <laughs> which like, is wild because like, there's not much dialogue you're, at all. you're, you're a genius um, but yeah we got to cut the dialogue here <laughs> yeah and so like, Weinstein was really no trying to butcher this movie film. is like it's too weird whatever there needs to be more action um, and this, to be this the, like beautiful bit of like psychological intimidation of like gutting this fish in front of them. He's like, makes no fucking sense. Get it out of here. And they'd been having all these fights about um, the script, and he had this um, inspiration. And he's like, oh well, this is this is actually very important to me because my father was a fisherman. <laughs> and Steve <laughs> was like, oh, you should have said in that case, keep it in. Yeah, family is the most <laughs> important like thing. Yeah, I totally the agree. The most <laughs> incredibly poor instincts for tension or cinematography it's or beautiful. anything. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, um, and he's like, my father wasn't a fisherman. <laughs> it's like I just had to, I just had to keep it in there. Uh, well, unless anyone has any other hot takes, we move. 
just get the coughing out. Mm. Uh, we might move on to the parasite. Yeah. I'm actually excited now. I'm going to get a film via conversation. All right. So, basically, it opens in The first Seoul. thing, I'm before you go, oh, I was really impressed by here, having seen them both in the same week, is how, mm. you know, obviously he has some same themes and some same, like, very heavy use of metaphor, but such different genres. Really? And okay, both pretty yeah. well done. Yeah, like wildly different. All right. That's interesting. So and it sounds that. like his other two are very different as well there. Okay. So, um, Parasite is set, yeah, in Seoul. It's um, not really magical realism or fantasy. It's pretty straight down the line. Um, we Basically, we open on a, a family of lovable dirtbags, um, the Kim family. They've fallen on hard times. They're living in this, um, again, the, the visual metaphor of like above ground, below ground is already um, apparent in the first scene. They're living in an apartment that's basically mostly underground. They have a tiny sliver of window in which they like watch drunk people like pissing they're against They're constantly getting pissed on by. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always being pissed yeah, on. Yeah, subtlety. Yeah. Uh, Things are bad. Then the son, um, Kiwu, he gets a job tutoring for a rich family, the Park family. Um, and then he's like, basically, he's an enterprising young lad and he gets the rest of his family in on the act. So after they, like, in the opening minute of having met him, just literally rename him and are like, okay, you're Kevin now. Yeah, Kevin. You come work for us. <laughs> he, he has to take on the, the name of the. Oh, no, it's not the previous tutor, is it? They just give him a name. It's like, Kevin sounds nicer. You'll be Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> he also gets really horny for the daughter that he's tutoring, who's his age, I should say, or nearish. Um, so there's that little little romance story. Um, so basically, then he gets his sister hired as the art teacher for the uh, disturbed six-year-old child, which is just like an amazing bit. It's so funny. She like convinced... The, the stay-at-home, like very... Um super involved mum is convinced the kid is like an art genius and so she manages <laughs> to convince her that the ki- that she's an art therapist and the kid has like all this like trauma. unexplained trauma that she can clearly see in his art from like, <laughs> she says, like dark colors you see and- this you see this uh, bottom right quadrant that's what we call the schizophrenia zone <laughs> um so she gets that and then they get the dad hired as as, as the driver and the, the mum gets hired as a housekeeper but the comedy comes from the fact they all have to pretend not to know each other <laughs> and not to be related. Um, and they do things like, yeah, just like the, the comedy comes from getting the old driver and housekeeper fired. Uh, yeah, it's pretty dark from the get-go. It is just a bit like dark. absolutely sabotaging the jobs of these people. There, there's very – there's no, no solidarity in this film. And that, you know, one of my hot takes is that's their ultimate downfall. But, yeah, from the beginning they're just like, no, fuck you, got to get mine, get my mum and dad hired. Um, and so the comedy in the first maybe third of the film is about that. It's definitely all at the expense of the rich family. Like, um, they, and the mum in particular is portrayed as like a very, like a nice, sweet person, but not like the brightest in the world. And like the way they get the, the poor mum hired as housekeeper is posing as like an elite staffing agency. And the rich mum like rings up and is like, oh, I need to hire a housekeeper and, and they're on the other end of the line. They're like, "Oh yes, well, we just need a few things to prove that your your wealth, your income level. Um, <laughs> say like, you know, pay stubs, IDs, uh, the deeds to your house." <laughs> and she's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." <laughs> um, so that that goes on. And then one weekend, the Park family goes away on a camping trip, and um, the mum slash housekeeper is meant to stay and look after the house, so that she gets the rest of the family to stay as well, and um, they all get get really drunk together on their fancy whiskey um the amount of like parent child like drunkenness in this film Mm. seems like way maybe it's a cultural thing maybe it's just for the narrative but like they all get drunk together 
very easily in a way that I would feel uncomfortable <laughs> about. That sounds wholesome. Families that get drunk together stay together. Mm. Well, they're I all mean, huge dirtbags. At the point you move them, meet them, they don't have a lot going on yeah. in their lives there. Yeah, that's true. How old's the oldest? The older son? Oh, um, like maybe twenty. Yeah, so. I think no, both yeah. the twenty-one. Both the kids are in their early twenties. Yeah. They're supposed to be at the age where you would be going to university, but mm. they're too poor to go. Mm. And they originally, the first guy originally gets this job by his like friend somehow who his is rich friend. and is at uni and turns up to give them like this enormous rock. Yeah, yeah like, I forgot about the rock. rock will bring you wealth. <laughs> and he spends the entire time carrying around this metaphor rock for the rest of the movie. This like, you know, so little like dribbles from above of blessings. Is he like pretending to tutor the, the rich kid or like... Is well, he a- he's tutoring her in English. Oh. It seems like he does know kind of what he's doing, but they spend most of their time making out. Yep. So she's just, yeah, he, I think he, I don't think he has any interest in her. I think he's just trying to figure that like making out with her is the best way to hook her in and secure his employment. Mm. Yeah. It's super cynical in every way. Um, but yeah, starting out by, oh, the giant rock came because the rich kid's dad was clearing out his giant rock uh, yeah. collection was like, you poor family, you can have one of my metaphor rocks. <laughs> um, okay. So then they're all getting drunk on the whiskey Rain is falling outside in this beautiful house, which several times it's mentioned a famous architect designed it, like it's super classy. And then the old, the housekeeper, they got fired so they could hire the mum. She turns up kind of out of the blue and she's like, oh, I just left something inside. They made me get out really quickly when they fired me. Can you please let me and I'll just go and get it. And, you know, like all idiots in like horror movies, they say yes. Um, So she comes in and... Basically, she then reveals that her husband has been living in, like, the secret bunker downstairs for, like, 10 years. So, whose husband? The, the old housekeeper. The old housekeeper. Who yeah. they fire. Yeah. Then r- goes into the kitchen where she spends most of her time. There's, like, a pantry under the kitchen that's, like, underground already, which mm. is where she's doing her work. And then rolls back the door and, like, fully under the ground. There's, like, this, like several more Insane husband of hers, like, walled into the, like, foundations of the house almost. In this little, like, sort of ac- concrete access tunnel. Yeah, and she explains, basically, he's they, he got so badly into debt that his only option was to go into hiding. Yeah, he's implied to be yeah, hired, hiding from debt collectors or something. Um, and she'd been really shown as this, like, really kind of... Um, very proper. Middle class, proper, like, on the side of the rich family, yeah. like, very, mm. you know, bustling, well turned out. like, the status of the family is a reflection of the status of her. Totally. Mm. And then she just reveals she's had this, like, next level parasite husband living <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> Super parasite. Um, so, yeah, and the rich As family... you can see, very clear, very on the nose. <laughs> the, the rich family has no, has no idea that he's there. And so she says, now that I've got fired, I can't like live here anymore and give him food. I need you to feed him for me. Can you just give him some food a couple of times a week um, and he'll be fine? Uh, and they basically say no. Like, again, they have no solidarity and they're just like, no, get fucked. Why should we do this? Um, then there's a fight. Uh, and the end result is that the old housekeeper and her husband, and are locked in the bunker. They lock both of them down there and they go back upstairs. Then, of course, the rich family comes home early from their camping trip and there's like, Maddie and I were both like silent screaming as they, because obviously none of the poor family, the Kims, are supposed to be there. So they're all like hiding around the house or the mum housekeeper is meant to be there, but none of the rest of them are. So they're like trying to avoid being seen. Um, and eventually they manage to get out of the house without being discovered. 
um, it's raining really hard, which is why they came back early from the camping trip. So they go back, the dad, the son and the daughter go back to their apartment um, and there's like a full on flood and their apartment is just like swimming in sewerage and is basically unsalvageable. There's a great scene with the dirtbag daughter, like <laughs> the toilet is spraying out sewage and she just, from like the bottom part she just sits down on the lid eventually and just smokes a cigarette <laughs> while the room fills up with water <laughs> meanwhile the son's like wandering around looking for his magical money rock like <laughs> carrying it out through the sewage yeah so um <laughs> they have to go to an evacuation center eventually um and then the next day they all get called up um to attend slash work at this garden party that the the park the rich the parks the rich family have decided to throw for their son because the camping trip got ruined because it was his birthday anyway, not important they go to a garden party um and that's when things start to get like really violent so the crazy well, they first have this setup scene that is really masterful like of the um mm. you know the ease and spontaneity of this rich family mm. and their garden party being just like totally built on the back of everybody else around them in this case like the people who are like covered in sewage and their house has been destroyed and mm. they're all like pretending to be someone else and and the mum is like walking around a, a bottle shop with the um with her driver, the poor dad, like trailing behind her, and she's on the phone to her friends, being like, "Yeah, we just decided it's very, very much just spare of the moment. Oh well, you didn't bring whatever. It's just relaxed." I mean, oh, he's just like getting her groceries, getting her wine, getting her crates of champagne, like yeah. calling the caterers. Yeah. And they're, like, pressuring the tutors to, like, come in as, like, a condition of their employment. Yeah. <laughs> like, pretend and to show joy in the kid's birthday. There's, like, an amazing line of um, dialogue where the the neurotic mum, because she's so convinced her son has had this trauma, um, she's like, oh, we're going to get him a really great cake for his birthday. This is going to be his trauma recovery cake <laughs> so um spoiler alert it's it's not a trauma recovery cake it's if anything a re-traumatizing cake um so then they so yeah the garden party is like going along really nicely everyone's having fun um then the crazy husband escapes from the bunker um and the crazy husband is like fixated on the husband of the rich family who's the, this yeah. random like rich startup dad. business guy. It's never um, really explained what he does. No, just for some random kind he's of a, finance he parasite. He's got these pictures he's of him from, parasite. you know, like whatever Korean like Forbes magazine like pinned on the wall that he like prays to. And he has this like demonic like um, homage paying thing he does every night where he can turn the lights on and off in the hallway. And so he's bashing his head on the light switch like – Hammering out in Morse code, like, you know, we love you, Mr. Park. <laughs> and meanwhile, they're upset. <laughs> Thank you for like, letting me live in your house. <laughs> Man, this lighting is really going crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked and weird. Anyway, so he's he's in love with Finance Daddy and he's like, is it really explained why he goes on this violent spree? Like, if there's any logic to it. I think he's just he just gets out and he's like, I'm going to kill. Well, he's been attacked by the other poor family. And, yeah. you know, it's all gone down. It's true. He's been living in a basement for a long time. So he comes out. So, like, as the trauma recovery cake is, like, being carried out to the six-year-old child, like, crazy bunker husband is, like, running through the crowd with, a like, a huge butcher's knife. And he stabs the daughter of the poor family, um, Ki Jung. And then the poor dad stabs the rich dad, basically. Um, you look confused, Callum. Yeah. Uh, so, is the poor dad the one who's the chauffeur? Or yeah, he's, he's the, the one, one who's the chauffeur. chauffeur. Yeah. 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 There's poor dad and there's bunker dad. <laughs> yeah. Poor dad is <laughs> sub, sub poor. I, I thought the nomenclature was quite clear. Exactly. He's yeah. he's yeah, sub poor. Dad. 
It would help. So, it, so it's like bun- Bunker Guy has this like moment, like he's been mad the whole time, but he's come out and he sees this enemy as the family who's displaced his wife and, you know, threatened his existence in the basement. He's out to get them. Meanwhile, having like fought off this attack, like um, the chauffeur dad has had this like, like lost the plot. And he just at that point just like snaps and kills rich dad because he's put up with like so much indignity and there's this incredible scene where his the daughter the art therapist poor daughter has been stabbed and the rich family are like trying to get the chauffeur who they don't know is her father to like drive the kid their rich kid to the hospital who all he's done is faint in surprise <laughs> and there are all these assorted staff of theirs like Meanwhile, lying around bleeding to death bleeding to death on their it's lawn this, yeah incredible just like discounting of the lives of everyone around them and he just like loses the plot and like goes ham on rich dad this would help if we knew the names of any of the characters eh. but also in our defense they had two names their real names and their fake names so you know poor dad rich dad will do for now unfortunately <laughs> Callum is the only person here who knows any names of characters or actors and he did not see this film yeah <laughs> All right, so, yeah, Bunker Dad stabs poor daughter. <laughs> poor Dad stabs Rich Dad. Um, and and poor son also gets stabbed, but his the the daughter that he's tutoring, Rich Daughter, who, like, they're, you know, um, together, she saves him, and it's which is quite sweet. So he Well, I don't know whether it's sweet. Like, to me, that relationship is one, like, you know, I've done various, like, tutoring of rich kids, although not that rich. And it's this weird kind of thing where, like, the parents are treating you as staff, but sort of this elevated level staff because you're, like, allegedly educated and being mm. trusted with their, like, trusted with their Fair precious children. little darlings. And they're, like, um, precious little kids are kind of trying to bond with you in a sense or, like, sometimes playing you off against, like, what the parents making them do or what their siblings mm. are doing. And it's this weird kind of, like intimacy they can try and create and puts you in a weird position like you're not their friend you're getting paid you don't necessarily want to be there Mm. um and you're they kind of some kids are aware of it some aren't but like that you're like they're under their sufferance Mm. or they're for them so to me that whole relationship her like making out with him or trying to like suck him into romance and you know she's constantly like texting him and constantly demanding attention is this real like her doing this kind of like little mirror image of what the parents are doing like he should be their uncle and he should be like her plaything and her you know kind of fantasy object there so i think she's mad that someone like stabbed her like toy more than more than anything true well in any case he lives the um kiwu the son lives kijang the daughter dies um and i think it's implied rich dad also dies um and so then we do a, a little jump forward in time um and essentially uh yeah those those two die the rich family or the mum and the kids they move out and they're replaced by like a rich german family um kiwu the son and his mum have to go back to their dank basement apartment everything really remains the same it's a bit depressing then the film ends um with kiwu so so remember so poor dad stabbed rich dad and rich dad died so the police are really after poor, poor dad but they can't find him he's like disappeared there's none of the neighbors cctv cameras on their garages of course they have those none of them picked them up they can't find him and eventually the son figures out oh he's down in the basement he's become bunker dad like he's gone down there so then a film ends with with the son communicating with his father in the basement via the weird the lights because he's learned morse code so he can communicate and um the son sits up on a hillside and like transcribes all the dots and dashes 
Um, so the dad is blasting this message out into the universe saying, son, you know, I love you. I'm bunker dad now. <laughs> Rip. I regret nothing. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. And then, and so the, the film ends with the son writing a letter to, to, to his bunker dad saying, um, one day um, I've got a plan. Like I'm going to go to university. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to buy this house back one day. Me and mum will move into it. And then you can come out of the bunker. You can walk out into the us. sunlight. And then the last, the second last scene is, um, them is they they show this happening like the dad just walking out and they all, like the mum and son can't come to like see the house and they move in and then the dad walks out and they embrace and the sunlight is beautiful and you're like oh maybe it really did happen and then it cuts back to the son just in his like dank basement writing the letter and sitting with his metaphor rock writing yeah with with the metaphor rock don't forget that uh, and we realize it's just a fantasy after all nothing nothing ever changes Matt Christman says um, nothing changes. No, yeah, nothing changes. It just gets slightly worse. Oh, totally. And yeah, his vision at the end is so bleak. Like he doesn't bust into the house. He doesn't trick anyone. Like he's lost any interest in that. He just wants to like join the system, mm. rise up, and it's yeah. the only way he can think <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. to assimilate. I'm just gonna, this. I'm just gonna legally purchase the house. Not even just like break in at mm, night. And no, get you yeah. out. Their conditions have not um, changed except the daughter is dead and the father is locked under a house and they're back where they started having like really insecure employment and living under the ground. But yeah, this um, the fact that this was a dream sequence is what made me um, affirm my belief that the um, child fur coat polar bear escape future of humanity thing mm. was in fact just um, like a dying, dying dream. I was like, he's got form because you thought they were going to give you a sunny ending and you just ended up in the bleakest place. Mm. It is, yeah, it's very – he has that a lot in his movies because um, in The Host uh, – the thing was the monster came out and it took so there's there's uh, there's the i think there's the grandfather the father and like the daughter and then there's like actually no there's like four of them i think there's a like another daughter as well but she's like older anyway the youngest daughter gets taken by the monster and they have to go save her mm. but at the end of the movie she actually ends up dying but she saved another young child from the monster and they end up adopting <laughs> that young boy, but they're back in exactly the same mm. place they were at the start in this, like, you know, lower middle yeah. class. Like, Revolutions fail, fish eat your kids. Like, yeah, you'll just be walled into the basement. Yeah, it's very weirdly nihilistic stuff that sort of flows through. But like you guys are saying, it's very on the nose with the whole low <laughs> class solidarity then you're just going to get rolled by the rich. I guess there was a lot of solidarity in Snowpiercer, except that they mm. all died. <laughs> they were with Krevins all the way, <laughs> going in the dream tunnel. Yeah, yeah, and there was a possibility that yeah, it was always doomed, depending on your perspective. And but yeah, much more solidarity. Well, um, the notion of parasite, I think, also like switches back and forth in a way that really make you think. Like, Obviously, Paris- Bunker Dad is like the ultimate parasite, but then... Like the Kims, the poor family are also supposed to be like they are parasitic. Like at one point, one of them is like, "Wow, think about how much money their their household is transferring into our household every week," um, mm. and it's all like based on a scam. But then, if you think like, "Well, what does startup dad even do?" Like, none of these people contribute to society. They're all just getting like ferried around, like driven everywhere, having their like clothes picked up all their cleaning and cooking done for them and they don't do anything maybe they're the real parasites bum, bum, bum. um 
that Mackie think. We live in a society. We do live in a society. These are the name of this episode. <laughs> these films are <laughs> big, we live one. in a society energy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we have spoils. We know something. <laughs> I know. I win. Yeah. I'm going to call it Rich Train, Poor Train. <laughs> Rich Train, Poor Train. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, Parasite. It's a shame we've spoiled it now because you should all go and see it. It's a very beautifully made movie. I think a better movie than Snowpiercer. Um, really beautifully shot and so much fantastic tension and like mm. really fantastic framing. Like he really gets into the architecture of the house and the shots. Mm. And, and I think it also plays with like emotional ambivalence, like the ambivalent relationships mm. that these characters have with each other in a very interesting way. Like the, the rich family aren't actually villains. They're very, they're actually nice. Like they treat their workers well they're not rude to them. They pay them well. They, they Although we're happy to nice. summarily displace them. They're, yeah, no, they're happy to do that, of course. But like in their personal relationships, they're like nice people. They're not bad people. Um, and as you said, like Bunker Dad is actually in love with Rich Dad. Um, and so, and, and even, but at one point, like they're even talking about this, the Kim family, uh, the poor family are talking about like, oh, they're, but they're nice. And one of them, I think it's the daughter says, yeah, but, you know, money makes you nice. Like, you can afford to be they, – they're nice basically because nothing <laughs> bad has ever happened to them before. Mm. Um, but uh, it also, like, it avoids the trope of, like, rich people are bad individuals and poor people are good individuals. Um, in fact, like, the poor people are kind of dirtbags. Um, Although it's very – I don't know. I think that – you know, you see a lot of glimpses in their life. Like, I don't think they're temporarily living in a basement. Like, you can see the parents are describing their employment history mm. and they've been on and off in all this really marginal employment and oh, yeah, really exploitative stuff fault. the whole time. But they're not portrayed as, like, noble people Yeah, no, definitely not. But, yeah, um, you, you know, it's hard. It's very truthful. Like, it's hard to sustain solidarity or, mm. like, these warm, familiar relationships or be, like, a nice person under these conditions mm. where they're really, like, just scrabbling to... Yeah, totally. Which is actually probably quite realistic of mm. where the world is now. Like, um, you know, most of the working class, very isolated, very mm. cut off. Atomized. Um, oh, yeah, totally. Like the jobs they're doing at the start are like... Um, folding pizza boxes. Yeah, folding pizza boxes for a like, you know, piecework kind of thing that they get then get ripped off out of. Like mm. all kinds of random, like, you know, not even day long gigs. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all like... And they talk a little about, I don't know much about South Korea actually, but there are like allusions in the film to like, how lucky are we? Like our whole family got employed. And um, whereas, you know, these days if you, there's a there's a position open for a security guard, it attracts 500 university educated graduates. Um, so yeah, they're definitely like, it's just the socioeconomic context um, is also um, portrayed as yeah, influencing all of these characters. It sounds to me like the, the the link between these two is the the like real struggle to see a way out of the system. Mm, mm-hmm. Like Krebin's the, like absolutely the, the bunker. Like there's no way out. It's locked yeah, yeah, from yeah. the other side. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah, think either of these are as, the as pessimistic as they seem. Like everyone, in a sense, dies or fails in these movies. But it's like almost like trying strategies, and you never get the sense that the movie thinks they shouldn't have tried. Mm. No, but that's it. Is like it's a very of our time in the sense that yeah, like people are very much struggling with what other than capitalism but what was then, that like, quote it's just you found, too big a question um, Brian about Parasite um, where he was saying he was surprised this movie had been oh, yeah, so yeah, well yeah. received this uh, went around Twitter as a series of screen screenshots of an interview with him where it was a um, uh, yeah I tried to make a, a film that was about very much about the Korean experience 
but um, at this moment in time, yeah, and it seems like it has really resonated with people in other countries. You know, maybe we all actually live in the same country, and that country is capitalism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge Mac you think yeah. there on we live in a society. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I read an article with him where he was like talking about that the choice of that ending f- scene in Parasite. Um, where he's like, yeah, I could have ended it on the ambiguous um, future happy scene where they buy the house and the guy comes out and all's well. But then I was like, nah, like well, everyone knows, no one's stupid. Like everybody knows that would never happen. The kid's never going to buy the house. <laughs> so I'm just going to like leave you with the bad vibes. Mm, and is um, yeah, uh, when asked about um, sort of like which of the two revolutions he was backing in Snowpiercer, he definitely mentioned, says that, yeah, Chris Evans' character is too constrained to like think about like and like the he really just think that the um getting off of the train is the real goal and mm. and that not being able to see a way off of the train that is capitalism is what's constraining everyone at the moment mm. i was really rooting for jessica the art therapist scammer daughter to um take the title of the house and do some real like yes. security fraud there and bust them out of employment i thought that her the scene where she asked for the deed of the house was going to lead like that was mm. going to come up again later yeah she was by far the most ruthless of the family really yeah. in this and it's oh, it was such a sad mid film because they were shown as like having reached prosperity beyond their wildest dreams, but they were all still just like waiting hand on foot on these mm. rich people and mm. yeah, yeah, you so know they're, they're you know they're on the train, they're further up the train, but they're on it. You never got to see the payoff of like oh now they're making so much money they can afford to move out of their dank apartment or anything. Yeah, that. like there was no change in their circumstances. They, yeah, they've just got to come back from their like immersion in sewage and go straight back into the bloody birthday party or yeah. Uh, oh. So the uplifting film then is go and see Hustlers. Because <laughs> <laughs> at least at the end, even after doing jail time, all the prostitutes have a lot more money. Sorry, strippers have a lot Sex more money workers. than they started with. Sex workers. Well, by the end, they're more in the business of credit card fraud uh. than stripping. So, you know, it's they're <laughs> entrepreneurs. Yeah. It's less fraud so much like literal theft. But <laughs> Is there a strip club carriage in Snowpiercer? Mm-hmm. There's a no, bunch of decadent sort of like carriage? nightclub vibes. Yeah. I think, yeah, nightclub carriage. Saunas, hot tubs, but no. Mm. Okay. Yeah, we're all strugg- struggling. I feel like it's much. much. I've been feeling like it's so much later in the week than it is, and it's only fucking Tuesday. <laughs> Callum has transitioned to full time work in case oh, our listeners couldn't tell. Weeks, all the world's a train. Some people are dancing, some are throwing money, and some are just lying on the floor groaning. It's actually sort of bleak how many people like I work with who speaking of can't being able to see beyond the train like <laughs> can't like just think it's so normal to like be in this incredibly like high surveillance highly like big brother sort of workplace and then it's like oh this is totally normal like or almost conditioned to like be like yay this is great sort of thing it's like oh just chills me you know? wake up sheeple get off the train idiots get off the train <laughs> get out of the bunker <laughs> cool well we'll um see you guys soon in two weeks four because we're doing this fortnightly oh, oh yeah. yeah we haven't <laughs> yeah. done yeah. it there'll be a fake a real fake numbers show coming up at some point <laughs> yeah the metaphorical rock will guide us to greater productivity <laughs> <laughs> yeah we really just need to get a metaphor get, rock. A, get a bigger rock <laughs> yeah all right bye Bye. Bye.